joined us for Harvest Project in the fall. He taught with us, and we really enjoyed him so much that we had asked him to come twice, um, back-to-back weeks earlier in February, and, and he's able to join us now. Um, so if you guys would just like to extend your hands and um, bless Anthony with me um, tonight. Father God, thank you for Anthony, and thank you for his being with us tonight. Uh, we thank you for your presence with us. Uh, teach us, Holy Spirit. You are called the teacher. Stir our hearts to remind us of um, of all that you've been doing, and, and, then, and, and stir our hearts to receive the good things you have for us tonight from Anthony. We bless him. We thank you for his faithfulness, and we, we love you, Jesus. Amen. That's right. Amen. You know, the Apostle Paul did not have to worry about notebooks, laptops, and, you know, I just need a good old, give me a, Paul, you got like some, you got like a, you know, give me some old papyrus manuscripts from, give me the the Torah somewhere. We'll just preach out of the Torah, you know. Hallelujah. All right. So if this falls, I can blame you, Andy. Is that what happens? You buy me a new... Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Because God's going to get you. Amen. Wow. Okay. How many, so how many were here um, during Harvest Project? You saw me during that time. So just the front row, okay. Oh, one in the back. Ah, oh, one in the back. All right. All right. Is is Harvest Project ongoing? Is that still going on? Okay. Yeah. You did? He graduated these guys? Are you serious? Wow. Paul, you gotta you gotta raise your standards. I'm just kidding. So um so how many are here for the first time though? I know uh, this young lady over here. How many others first time? Hallelujah. Great. Great. Great stuff. Um, I, Paul and I were talking earlier and I was trying to remember how I even ended up, ended up here, but I think somebody, I don't know who, uh, had been to one of my conferences or meetings and said, Hey, you got to come to Communitas. I don't know if that, who that was. Jeremy. Jeremy. Is Jeremy here? Jeremy. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. He's in North Dakota. Okay. Uh, North Dakota still exists or did we secede that to Canada? I don't know if that we keep, we, did we keep North Dakota still? Oh, okay. All right. All right. Hallelujah. So you guys were talking about boldness, right? One of my favorite topics. I love boldness. What's the number one thing that kills boldness? Fear. Fear of? Failure. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. You read my book. Cheater. Yeah. Hallelujah. Um, you guys got to pray for me, like now, okay? Because um, I'm, I'm teaching out of my book, but that... Normally when I do this, it's like a four-session series. So I got to cram like a whole weekend seminar into one night. Unless somehow I come back and, you know, but right now it's just one, you know, so as far as I know, I'm never going to see you again. So we got to get it all. 
So I got to. So I. My goal is tonight is to be to take this message, which I spent all of 2013 traveling the country preaching out of this book. I mean, that's the, the demand. I mean, it's been wildly successful. I've been amazed. Um, although I shouldn't be, I wrote the book because. Um, uh, I do a lot of prophetic counseling, okay? Uh, people come in when they're in desperate shape and say, help me, you know? I have people literally cry, you know, crying, call me on the phone, crying, screaming. Um, hey, my neighbor, last week I had a, uh, a lady call me and say, hey, my neighbor's demonized, demon-possessed. Come fix her. She ended up in a psych ward, and hopefully we'll eventually get to help her and get her free. But, I mean, this, you know, people call me for that kind of stuff. So I do a lot of prophetic counseling and all kinds of stuff. And in 20-some years, no one has ever called me and said, um, hi, Mr. Anthony, I'd like help with rejection. Never. 95% of the people, after we get in there, we're ministering to them, guess what we find out is their main problem? Rejection. rejection. I wrote a rejection. That's why I write the book, Rejection Exposed. What do I do with my stuff here? Okay. Because Jesus, said, Jesus made an amazing statement in Mark three twenty seven. He said, if you bind the strong man... You can plunder his house. He's talking about deliverance, demonic strongholds, okay? Strong man is the thing that's the, the most strongest negative influence in your life. And so well, here's what I found after 20-plus years of doing this. You ready? Nugget number one. Everybody say, turn to your neighbor and say, nugget number one. The strong man always hides. Wouldn't you? You know, the sniper who you can't see, it's the, the boxers will tell you it's the punch, it's the swing you don't see that knocks you out. Jesus said, if you can bind that guy, if you can find him and bind him, everybody say, find him and bind him. You can plunder his little treasures. That's why the book is called Rejection Exposed. Now, my follow up book coming out hopefully this fall, depending on the publisher we find, is going to be called Rejection Healed. Which is already written. It just means edited and you know, pen, space. I got to spend five grand to pay the editor to make it readable. You know, but anyway. So I've got these with me tonight. I got a bunch of them, um, and this is a study guide that goes with it. And we, we I'm going to do the package for you guys for twenty five bucks tonight. Do credit cards, semi checks, whatever. But I encourage you to get this. I every week, almost. I guess you can't say every ever. You know, I get testimonies from people um, telling me how this book has helped them. Okay, I'm not trying to, you know, toot my own horn uh, or Paul's phone either. I'm not trying to toot that either. But I just want to encourage you, if you can get this tonight or uh, take it tonight and pay me later, whatever. This book has really been a huge blessing. And, and, and it's all from God. I can't take credit. It's all from the Lord. Amen. It all, all revelation belongs to him. But this has been a huge blessing. So, you know, this is a hundred page book that we're going to try to narrow down. And, you know, I should be done by midnight or two in the morning, something like that. We'll order pizza. It'll be fine. Um, I also brought with, just because I know I don't have a big space here, um, I, I remember that little shelf over there. So the so stuff's over there. I brought with um, really two of my most life-changing um, messages, and which is um, Freedom from Rejection series, CDs. I have it in DVDs, too. I do conferences. Uh, but I just brought the CDs tonight. And um, I'm used to having a lavalier mic, so this is challenging me. Um, one of our most sought-after teachings, a book I'm currently in the midst of writing called How to Hear God's Voice. Uh, the book is going to be called Spirit Voices. Subtitle is going to be How to Discern the Difference Between Your Voice and, your th- or, and God's Voice and Your Thoughts. Because most people, when they pray and they listen to the, to the Lord, they want an answer. You know what they say most often? Oh, 
How do I know that wasn't me? That was probably just me. And they dismiss it. They don't know about their spirit voice and how to hear from God. This has been a highly revolutionary teaching for us. And uh, the book should be out again in this late summer, early fall. But I have some of the CDs with me. So I encourage you to get that. I also brought a couple, only two. Everybody say two. Uh, four CD series on how to, how to heal a broken heart, healing the brokenhearted. Okay? We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So that's available. Lots of goodies. Okay? When I was in debate class, a wee, alas I wa- a wee little lad I was, not alas. James Knott, my teacher, taught me a very valuable lesson in debate. He said, know your opponent. Okay? If you want success in life and you're in any, any kind of a competitive environment, you need to know your opponent. You need to know his argument. You need to know how he operates if you want success. So I'm going to expose our opponent tonight. You ready? We're not going to talk about the spirit of rejection. We're going to expose the prince of demons. Okay? Spirit, you know, rejection is not just some bad feelings. I mean, you, someone might say, hey, that's an ugly shirt you got on. You might feel kind of bad for a little bit. Okay, that's some minor rejection. Like, oh, gosh, you know. But rejection is a spirit, is a demon. Demons take on the name of their activity, okay? Spirit of lust, spirit of anger, spirit of fear. I mean, the Bible lists all kinds of spirits, okay? Spirit of hopelessness, spirit of despair, whatever. Rejection can be bad feelings, but the problem is it can be a spiritual force. And I would tell you that the most destructive spiritual force I've seen in humanity, in all of humanity, is a spirit of rejection because it causes us to do really bad things. The, the reason I wrote this book is the first booklet was called. I had When I'd had my sales table of my materials... I had four. I have four books or uh, booklets or books I've written that have become books, and the number one selling by far was my booklet on. Somebody's having a good time up there. Was uh, my booklet on? It was on rejection, but you know what it was called originally? Rejection and rebellion, the evil twins. Because rejection, nugget number two. You ready? Everybody say nugget number two. Rejection almost always leads to rebellion. Right? What's your name? Becca. So, Becca, if I push you, you want to push me back, don't you? Yes. Good answer. Train, train them well, Paul. And oftentimes, because, now listen, this is great principle. This is hugely important. As a human being, God made you broken and deficient. He made you messed up, screwed up. He messed up when he made you. You know how? He made you deficient in one little area. Ecclesiastes 3.12 says this. God placed eternity in man's heart. They might search for him. He made a hole in your heart. He made you looking for something. Looking for love in all the wrong place, right? We all do that. So if I push you back and make you out of balance or out of equilibrium, you most likely will respond in the flesh and push me back. Now, being godly men and women, hopefully you won't respond in the flesh and you'll say, Oh, God bless you. I'll go fix myself with the Lord over here. I'm going to go praise and worship the Lord and get straightened out. But we were made for equilibrium. The thing that gives us equilibrium is love. If your love tank is not full, you may find something. Gossip, backbiting, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, rebellion of any you know, sin, sinful flesh that will try to balance you, make you right, and fill you up. 
It's a deception, but we've all done it. Been there, done that, right? Okay. So what we want to do tonight is expose how the spirit of rejection works. If you really get this, I absolutely promise you, you will avoid many pitfalls and pains in your life. Thank God you're hearing this as a young person versus figuring this out when I was in my 40s or 50s, okay? First way I want to expose the prince of demons is in um, Isaiah 14. If you have a Bible or a smartphone, I have to say that now. Let's find out this guy's background a little bit. Let's look how he operates, but let's get to know him first, okay? Now, I have to tell you, at any moment, I could take a Holy Ghost commercial. I've seen a couple, three people tonight walking around that I have a prophetic word for, and I want to release those. I think one of them's back there. With your smartphone, you have kind of a white shirt on. Is that you? Right. Is it? Yeah, yeah, there you are. You were out on the deck eating dinner earlier? Is that you? Yeah, there you are. Okay, so I want to make sure I pray for you before you go. And I, um, Solaray? Solome. Is that right? Solome? So she's a new person, and when she walked up tonight, the Lord gave me a word for her. So I may intersperse some prophetic ministry over you tonight. I may do it in the middle of my sermon. I may do it at the end. Um, we're going to pray. We're going to get everybody here. We're going to whack the spirit of rejection in your life. Now, Praying a prayer may not totally deliver you totally from that. That's why Susan and I do prophetic counseling, okay, which is two to three hour deep, deep sessions. And um, the demand for that is pretty high right now. It's been really good. Isaiah 14, verse 10. Ready? Okay. And just listen and, uh, and catch this. Man, we are going to expose the enemy. God did it in the Bible. Just say, thank God for the Bible. Now say this. Thank God, thank God. I'm not in it. Because most of the guys and gals in the Bible have their stuff exposed, you know. They like, you know, Moses about his murder. Paul was beating up Christians, you know. I, Abraham was lying about his wife. I mean, it, you know, David's fooling around. I mean, it's a mess. I do not want to be in the Bible, okay? Because God exposes your stuff, right? Verse 10. They will all respond and say to you, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, even you've been made weak as we, you become like us. Your pomp and your music of your harps have brought you down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as, uh, as you're covering beneath you, and worms are your covering. Now look at verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven. Everybody say heaven. So we're not talking about a human here, are we? No, humans don't fall from heaven. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. That phrase, star of the morning, is a Hebrew phrase or Hebrew word that says, is Hillel. That means lighted one or Lucifer. Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the dawn. Now, when in the Hebrew language, when you, it's a very expressive language, okay? My Hebrew is not as good as my Greek, but I know enough. And when it says, oh, it's really there. And this is an emphatic, like, oh, how you, not like, oh, you've fallen from heaven. It's like, oh, how you've fallen from heaven. It's a grieving lamentation almost that the prophet takes up here. Oh, how you've fallen from heaven. Oh, star of the morning, son of the dawn. This is a son of the dawn, the son of light. You have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the Gentiles. But you said in your heart, I will arise and send to heaven. And I will make my throne above the stars of God. Notice that Lucifer had a throne. Number two, notice he says, I'll make my, uh, not only ascend to heaven, I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God he's talking about are not the little twinkly things in the sky. Stars in the Bible are created beings. 
in the book of Job and the book of Revelation that stars of God are creatures. They're not angels. They're not cherubim or seraphim. They're, a, they're their own class. They're the stars of God. Job says, where were you when the stars of God sang the morning song of creation? The stars of God, okay? He said, I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit on the very mount. That word, you're going to see this a lot in this passage, the next one. The mount of assembly. God lives on a mountain, by the way. The mountain, everybody in heaven, by the way, the Lord showed me this in a vision. Each of us are going to have our own mountain. A mountain is a place of rulership and authority. It says if you make it and, and, and hang with Jesus till the end, you will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's what Revelation says. I will ascend to the heights above the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Okay? Turn to Ezekiel 28. We're getting a picture. We're getting to know where our, and I've got to move quickly because I've got lots to share. But um, I've, I've just got to share this stuff with you. Ezekiel 28, verse 13, says this. Oh, let's start in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation over the kid. Now, remember, this is lamentation. This isn't a happy song. Okay? This isn't your top 40 uh, biblical uh, hit chart here. Okay? <laughs> take up the lamentation over the king of Tyre. Say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, one thing you need to understand in the Bible is, Oftentimes when it's speaking to a natural person, it's not talking about a natural person. It's talking about a supernatural being, but it uses what the Bible calls. You ready for a big word tonight? This is the first big word. Anthropomorphism. That means you use a biblical spiritual concept and put it in human terms so we can relate to it. Okay? That's my seminary school training not coming out because I didn't go to seminary. (laughs) Okay. Take up this lamentation and say to the king of Tyre, you had the seal of perfection. Whoa. What human has a seal of perfection? Full of wisdom. Perfect in beauty. Wow. I mean, I mean, I know some of us think we're good looking, but perfect in beauty? Woo. Verse 13, check this out. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, that couldn't have been a human because that was thousands of years before this. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He lists 10 stones there. 10, interestingly enough, is the number of judgment. Ouch. That's not good. Look at verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Lucifer, by the way, was not, he's not an angel. He's a cherub. Cherub are huge. The Bible says in Ezekiel, the throne of God rests on four cherubs. How big do you think the throne of God is? Bigger than a bread box, I'm thinking, right? Right? Okay. Lucifer wasn't just an anointed cherub. It says here, you were the anointed cherub. Wow. No small critter. He was, you you know, you ever see a a devil movie? You know, they, they, they show the devil. You know, he's got horns and he's really ugly. He's just he's black and ugly, right? No. Lucifer, the evil one, is absolutely stunningly beautiful. Oh, yeah. What did Paul say in Corinthians? He can appear as an angel of light. He is the son of the dawn. He, Lucifer means one, uh, the lighted one. Luce is, is Latin. Uh, Lucis, si tu hablas español, los luces. Okay, the lights. Okay? You were the anointed cherub who governs, covers or guards. I placed you there in the holy mountain of God. Wow. Check this out. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. 
So as I meditated over this in the last couple of years, the Lord showed me a vision of heaven, I mean of the throne, the mountain of God. There's an inner chamber in there where the stones of fire are. The stones of fire are the place of holiness, revelation, and authority. Satan walked in the midst of those stones of fire as the anointed cherub who covers that mountain. He covered the mountain of God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Obviously, he's a created being until uh, unrighteousness was found within you. By the abundance of your trade, you were filled internally with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing from the very mountain of God. Oh, how I've just oh, uh, and I have destroyed you. Oh, covering cherub. Again, there's anguish in God's heart. I've destroyed you, O covering chair, from the midst. But what did he destroy him from? From the midst of the stones of fire. You know what the stones of fire was? There was the counsel of God, and that's where Lucifer enjoyed intimacy with the Lord. Beloved, I'm trying to paint a picture that the Bible paints for you. This creature was intimately, dearly acquainted with God. He wasn't some guy hanging out on the, on the outskirts. He was in the very mountain of God. And he says, I've destroyed you, O covering cherub. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. See, there's that beauty. You were corrupt. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. He was splendorous, beautiful, wise. I cast you to the ground before kings. Now, wait a minute here. He actually cast him out in public. Yes, he was publicly humiliated because of his sin. You want to talk about rejection? I submit to you that Lucifer was the most rejected created being in, in all of history. Jesus was more rejected, but he was a cre- not a created being, but he was the creator. Jesus experienced the most rejection. I mean, on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he had become sin. And there's nothing worse than becoming sin. Not only sin, but sin for all eternity. But the next most rejected creature in the universe was Lucifer. He says, I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the multitude, multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries. So he had a throne. He had sanctuaries. He was stunningly beautiful. He was perfect in wisdom. He was the covering cherub of the mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. Beloved, he lost the most glorious thing you could lose. I mean, you talk about feeling rejected. This guy is it. Therefore, I brought fire from the midst of you. Now, listen, this is very this is my key point right here. I have brought fire from the midst of you. And listen what it says. And it has consumed you. The fire didn't consume him because the fire lived in him. Do You know what consumed him? The fact that God rejected him and took the fire out of him and said, you know what? You're done. You're done. I have to kick you out. You've tried to become like me. It says God has said in the Bible right here that Lucifer is consumed with his loss of his place. It's consumed him. Have you ever been consumed with something? He is consumed with rejection. I have brought fire from the midst of you, and it has consumed you, the bringing of the fire, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. In the eyes of all who see you, all who know you, among the peoples are appalled at you. You've become terrified, and here are the worst words you could ever hear from Almighty God. Here they are, verse 19, and you will cease to be forever. Wow. 
Can you imagine the horror of someone who's been intimate with God and God turns to them and says, not only do I cast you out, you will cease to be forever. That's his final epithet. That's on his tombstone, beloved. He, now, I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for Lucifer. He chose to rebel. Okay? Here's my point. Your enemy is filled with rejection. And he learned something from that. He learned that rejection leads to rebellion because we know him as a wicked, rebellious, fallen cherub, so to speak. Well, let's see if this really plays out. Why don't we turn to Genesis and see if he, let's see how he works with humanity, shall we? Okay. Now, I'm going to give you the VIP treatment tonight. Now, forgive me again for speaking quickly tonight. I'm, I'm, because I have so much I want to give to you, you're going to feel very fat and full when you're done tonight. Yes, and you can go sleep. V, I, P. Turn to Genesis. Chapter, who knows what chapter we're going to. Very good. Genesis 3. Yeah, good job. Okay, and I can't even, I'm not even going to read it tonight because it, it's just, I mean, I'll, well, you know the story. I'll give you a couple nuggets. But, okay, so now he's been cast, just like we read in Ezekiel 28, he was cast to the earth before the other angels and the other princes, you know, Michael and Gabriel and all the other, the other guys in heaven. He's totally kicked out. He's hanging around. God says, oh, I'm going to make man and woman, Adam and Eve. There we go. He sees Adam there and then he sees Eve is made second he's thinking hmm let's approach the second one here let's see she's kind of done differently let's maybe I can get a hold comes up to her and he says um, has God said there's four responses to rejection number one doubt and fear say that with me doubt, doubt and fear. fear okay that's the first thing that usually hits us is doubt and fear oh right if I come up to you and say hey man you, you always wear those weird shirts how can you do that She's going to doubt her ability to pick right clothing. She's going to fear rejection, right? Doubt and fear, okay? Number two is anger and rebellion. Anger and rebellion, okay? We'll get to that in a minute, but let's just go with doubt and fear. He says in verse four, um, has God said, no, actually in, in um, uh, verse, yeah, verse one, yeah. And she says, no, 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 yeah, you can't eat from that tree because um, if I do, I'll die. And he goes, oh, you surely won't die. He, God's just nervous that if you eat it, you'd be like him and no good and evil. What he really was challenging is he's saying God lied to you. How many here like to be lied to? Anybody? When you get lied to, how does that make you feel? Not valued. Right. I mean, why would you? So what she's hearing from Satan is God's holding out on you. If he really valued you, he'd tell you the truth. He's he's holding out on you. You're really not that important to him, because when people lie to me, I don't feel very important. I don't feel very, very valued or cherished. I feel kind of kicked to the curb. Right. Rejection attacks your value, your identity and your purpose. Ladies, all the women look up here. Which one of those three do you think you get hit with the most? Value. That's right. Your value. Men, which one do we get hit with the most? Purpose. Purpose, That's correct. Which one is in the middle that we all get hit with a lot? Identity. Identity. 
That's why the great Pauline revelation to the Gentiles was, you are sons of God, co-heirs, co-heirs, co-heirs with the saints. Saints meaning the, 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 you know, the Jews. That was the big thing. That was the thing that threw all the people, you know, and, and Peter finds out that Gentiles could get saved. He was blown away. Are you kidding me? He bring this unclean heathen in there, you know, in Acts chapter, you know, identity. It's huge. That's what the Pauline revelation is. You're a son of God. Okay, you're not a slave. You're not a servant. We may get into that tonight. So he says, you know what? God's holding out on you. So what does she do when she feels rejection? What does rejection almost always lead to? Not eating. (laughs) That's why there's an apple on the front of this cover. She felt rejected, and so she rebelled. Oh, really? You're holding out on me? I'll show him. Because when she felt rejected, what happened? Her equilibrium got off. She's walking around like this. You've dismantled me. You've pushed me aside, God. You've discounted me. You've diminished me. I'll get this straightened out. We'll see who's in charge. Lying to me. Uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't a lie. Yeah, she did die spiritually. Rejection leads to rebellion. I guarantee you, you get hurt, you get wounded, you want to push back. The question is, do you do it in the flesh or do you do it in the spirit? You will get rejected. You might get rejected before the night's out here. I hope not. But, you know, that's part of the human experience. We live in a fallen world. But through the Holy Spirit, we've got the, 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 the fruits of the Spirit. We can respond in love. One of my favorite, and I, I don't no, normally like the NIV. Anybody read the NIV Bible? Yeah, the nearly inspired version? Yeah? No, I'm, I'm kind of kidding, <clears throat> sort of. But it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. You just stepped in my toe, but I've already forgot about it because I walk in love. I've already, you see, because I am not going to respond and take that stepping on my toe as you devaluing me. Because, listen up, I know Satan's tricks. We've, we're going to expose how he works. Because if you feel rejected, unless you're really walking in the spirit, you're going to find a way to get even. And that's why in, in, in Hebrews 12, it says, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. I'll take care of that. But boy, let me tell you, it's not easy. I'm going through a thing in my life right now where I have spent, I've cried more in the last three months than I have in my entire life. I'm going through a really difficult stretch in my life. And I'll tell you, I want to get even. And I'm having to trust the Lord that his word is true here. Eve didn't feel that trust for whatever reason. And you will, every one of you, by God's design, you will be challenged. And God will say, do you trust me or do you not? Let, me walk, let him walk on your toe or tell you you don't wear good shirts or tell you you're a failure or whatever you want to hear and watch me heal your heart, okay? Number two, let's go to identity. Well, okay, let's... Oh, oh Lord. Um, okay. Just go next door to chapter 4 of Genesis. Okay. So fear and doubt. She doubted the father's love, didn't she? She was afraid. So what'd she do? What'd they do? Adam and Eve. They hid themselves. Okay. They knew they were naked. They hid themselves. God says, where are you? That's a rhetorical question. He knows all things. Right. They said, oh, we hid ourselves because we were afraid. Fear and doubt. Number one response, rejection. Number two, anger and rebellion. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter four. You know the story, Cain and Abel, two brothers. 
Okay. They bring a sacrifice and God says to Cain, I'm not digging your sacrifice here. Right. And look at verse six of chapter four. Uh, actually, verse, verse five. But since for Cain he, and his offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. That's called pouting. His whole face went, I tell you, I'm going to get that. You know, you see some guy, and he's got his head down, going, I'm going to get your face. You know, unless they're really bad. They, they usually hide their anger and their money. And he's walking away from that little offering service. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to have that brother of mine. I know he's always thinking that God, he's God's little favorite. I'm going to, you know. But he was angry, bitter. Now, I want you to understand something, beloved. This is really huge. When you get hurt, when you get wounded, when things don't go right, you need to understand what I'm going to read you here in verse 6 and 7. I want, God is telling us, see, when you read your Bible, it's always good to ask, why is this in the Bible? There's stuff in the Bible that I'm thinking, what in the world? But God has got little messages in here. Watch this in verse 6. So God, knowing the heart of you when you get wounded, knowing Cain's heart, he says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling, fallen? He knows when you get hurt. He knows when you get wounded. And, of course, here's a rhetorical question, meaning what's the opposite answer? It shouldn't be. Don't be angry. Don't be downcast because, verse 7, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? The answer is yes. And if you do not do well, sin, ooh-ooh, rejection, Lucifer, sin is crouching at the door, and his, now your Bible probably says it's here. The literal Hebrew, the, the translators weren't comfortable with literal stuff sometimes. It's literally his. It's his personified. I mean, does the thing crouch at a door? No. Creatures and people do that. And his desire is for you, but you must master it. Would God ever tell you to do something you couldn't do? Would he? It's not fair. He's telling Cain two things right here. Number one, I know about your pain. Number two, you have a spiritual adversary that is trying to capture your heart and turn you the wrong way. And number three, I've got an out for you. You can master this. You can beat rejection and not let it turn into sin and rebellion. God is right there. The moment someone says something cutting to you and, you know, and just hurts you, you're like, oh, man, God's right there right now going, yeah, I'm here. Come on. It's okay. Don't. Hello. Talk to me. Talk to me. Come here. Don't go. Don't go get it. Pick up the phone. And do you know what so-and-so just did? She just called me up. Uh Uh-uh. Turn to Jesus first and say, Jesus. Oh, I want to get that guy or gal. But I know a demon of rejection is crouching at my door right now. Listen to me, beloved. I'm trying to save you a lot of pain and trouble here. There's a demon crouching at my door right now, Jesus. And it wants its desire is for me. But I know I can master this because you told me so in your word. So, Lord, help me now. I bless that person. I forgive them. I release them to you. Vengeance is yours. Get them, God. <laughs> okay, forget that last part. Okay. Sick them, Holy Smoke. Yeah. Holy, holy Smoke, yeah. But Cain... Didn't do that. What was the result? Murder. Now, I want you to understand something. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, if you are angry at your brother, you're guilty of murder. Check it out. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Because he knows that anger is the predecessor to murder. 
Just why he said, if you look at a person lustfully, you've come into adultery already. Ouch, I know that in our culture, that's bad news. Okay, with instill porn on the internet, I mean, you know. But that's, the, that's reality. I don't care what our culture does. God's standard doesn't change, okay? So I can't hate you. If I do, I've got a little critter. Well, I'm not a little critter. Crouching at my door, wanting to enslave me to unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, resentment, and maybe murder. Well, I would never murder anybody, Anthony. Really? When's the last time you gossiped? Said something that was not totally true. That's called killing them with your words. Killing me softly with... You know that song, okay? I'm not in a singing mood tonight. Seriously. Proverbs 18.12, life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can say things with your spirit voice and never come out of your mouth and your heart and God and every demon in hell knows what you're saying for good or evil. Number two response to rejection is anger and rebellion. Okay? Now, turn over to um, 1 Kings 21. Now, there's two kinds of rejection, beloved. 1 Kings 21. There's two kinds of rejection. Passive and active. Everybody say that with me. Passive and active. Active rebellion is just something somebody does to you. That's pretty obvious. Somebody hits you. Somebody abuses you. For me, um, I, I was abused as a young boy sexually by my mom for seven years. That's kind of obvious. I mean, that was obvious one to see. The worst kind of rejection is passive because you don't see it. You don't think about it. What is passive rejection? It's what someone who is supposed to give you love and affection doesn't do for you. It's what doesn't happen. It's the lack of fathering, which is the current curse of our current generation. Beloved, right now in history, every one of you here in this room live in the most fatherless generation in history. The result of that is a rejected person who will go to rebellion to get attention, to get love. They're screaming, notice me, please, God, somebody notice me. You live in the most open generation to the gospel because of the fatherlessness. I'm telling you this prophetically right now. I just just got this from the Holy Spirit. Some of you here in your 20s and 30s will be fathering people that are barely, you know, you look at Paul. and I mean, you can see people who, you know, I, I'm old enough to kind of quote father somebody in the spirit. But you have the spiritual weight to father people who are wounded. I just got that from the Lord. See this book? I give a lot of these out. I'm going to tell you a story. I was at a restaurant, Olive Garden. I go there all the time. It's by my church. Pastor and I were having lunch. I've been witnessing to a guy there for years. I'm, 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 you know, he's a slow burner. So I, I'm going there every so often witnessing to him. Okay. And, uh, and I came in one day and, you know, I said, hey, so-and-so here. And, and uh, he said, yeah. So I said, hey, I want, you know, I, I wrote this book. I just want to give you this book. It really blessed you. Uh, I told him about it. I didn't have it in front of me. I told him about it. I got this book. It's on rejection. And I don't know anything about the guy's life, okay? I just witnessed to him. Uh, he's a young man in his mid-20s, uh, you know, works there at, 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 at the restaurant. So I said, tell you when I'm done with my lunch, I'll go out, I'll get a copy of the book, and I'll give it to you. Oh, great. That'd be great, you know. So, um, so I'm going out to the side. I finished lunch. My pastor out on the sidewalk. Pastor Bob and I are talking. And he comes out of the restaurant. Now, he's managing the restaurant. He says, hey, have you got that book for me yet? I'm going, wow, this guy's eager. Yeah, I said, I'll tell you what. I'll bring it right in. Now, again, I know nothing about his background. I just know I've witnessed to him about, you know, about the Lord. 
I go in the book, and whenever I get a book, whenever, in fact, tonight, if you buy a book, if I have time, I'll write a prophetic word. I always ask the Lord to give me a prophetic word for someone in the book, and it's really blessed people. So I'm sitting there in my trunk. I'm digging the book up, and I said, Lord, what do you want to say? Uh, his name is Damien. I said, Lord, what do you want to say to Damien? And this is what I heard. Tell him I'll be a father to him. I'll guide him and protect him all the days of his life. Okay, that's a good message. Praise the Lord. Don't know what, why he needs to hear that. I'm just listening. I'm just the mailman, right? So I go in. I sit here. I've signed the book. Go ahead and take it. Yeah, okay, takes it. And uh, I said, you know, I'm, by the way, I'm just kind of curious. I said, the Lord gave me a, a word in here. Uh, I didn't give it to you, though, did I? Yeah. But I said, the Lord gave me a word for you. And I, I'm just kind of curious here. Would you go ahead and read it? And he's reading it. And he's just kind of stunned. And I said, what's up? Remember, he said, I'll be a father to you. He didn't have a father. Never knew his father. And that so stunned that young man. But we serve a God who knows every hair in your head. He knows every cry of that young man's heart. And God of the universe, who doesn't, I don't know anything about the guy, said, you know what, son? I'll be a father to you. That's the God that you and I serve. But there's a lot of fatherless kids out there. And if we get time, I'm going to show you about Saul as a fatherless young man had rejection so bad it cost him his kingship. Okay? Now, in 1 Kings 21, I want to show you an example of passive rejection. The third response to rejection is self-pity and withdrawal. Let's say that together. Self-pity and withdrawal. In America, you live in the, the nation that has created the most victims in the entire world. I know poor kids in India who don't see themselves as a victim and don't have any food. Yet we have a nation of victims. You know why? Because we're fatherless. You'll create a victim without a big, fatherlessness will create a victim before poverty ever will. You know the greatest fatherlessness that goes in our society? I, this, I just felt like the Lord reminded you of this. It's not that kids who don't really have a physical father. It's even worse. This is passive rejection. When you have a physical father in your life, but he doesn't father you. He's there, but he's not there. I had a dad, and I loved my dad. I led him to the Lord. But you know what? He in no way fathered me. I was a golfer. My dad was a golf pro and a golf, great, great golfer, but he played golf five days a week. He drank, and my mom and dad fought, and I had a dad, but I didn't have a dad. Do you know what I mean? It goes on in our country all the time. In, in 1 Kings 21, Ahab, the king, everybody say king, got a neighbor, Naboth, sees his vineyard, says, hey, Naboth, give me your vineyard, and I'll give you a lot of money for it. He wasn't trying to steal it. He said, I'll give you a lot of money for it. And Naboth says, no, uh, God forbid, this is my, you know, my, my father's inheritance, verse 3. So look at verse 4. Ahab went into his house sullen and vexed because of the word. Everybody say word. Which Naboth, the Jezreelite, spoke to him. Now, look at it says. He lay down on his bed and turned his face away and ate no food. Okay? Now, let me ask you. Did Naboth reject Ahab? You seem to not be clear. Did Naboth reject Ahab? No. No. Everybody say with me, perceived rejection. <laughs> when you create a desire in your heart, I'll just be kind of hit where you live here, you guys. You're younger, and most of you aren't married, and 
you have some hormones and you see some young attractive thing walk by or I'm sorry some anointed guy or girl walk by and you think <laughs> you're lusting at their anointing oh they're so anointed and, 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 and she walks by and you're like hey how's it going hello and she goes walk on by you know You've created, the, you've created the desire for that thing, person, and they just cold shoulder ignore you. And you feel, wow, oh, man. But did they actually reject you? No. It's passive rejection, but you created it because of probably an ungodly desire. Number one problem in marriages is unmet expectations. Number one, relation, number one relational issue in your life as a single person, Christian, loving Jesus, you could have an unmet expectation that could turn you as Ahab here, sullen, vexed, unhappy, and feeling rejected, even though nobody has rejected you because you've created or have a perceived rejection because of something you want. The first thing the question to ask the Lord is, Lord, is this desire in my heart, which is not getting fulfilled, is it from you? Is it from you? Is this desire that I have from you? Or is she or he from you? Because if she ain't, you better run. If he's not, you better run. Right? I know you want God's will. So he turns around. He's sullen and vexed. And Jezebel, a sweet queen of a woman, shows up. She says, why are you sullen and vexed? Why aren't you eating any food? He says, well, Naboth wouldn't give me his vineyard. And look at her wonderful response in verse 6. So he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, and if it pleases you, I'll give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. So Jezebel in verse 7 says, do you now reign over Israel? In other words, are you a king or are you not? What's the answer to that question? Do you now reign over Israel? No. He wasn't reigning. His identity was messed up. He didn't know he was a king. He wasn't acting like a king. Kings don't, real kings, which everybody in this room is a king. You know your Bible, king of kings, lord of lords. The Bible says we're a nation of kingdom, kingdom of priests. And we've been, Paul said in Corinthians, you've been made kings without us. I mean, it's all over the Bible. We're a king. Do we act like it? Because kings are secure. It's hard to. Can you imagine the Queen of England? She comes hanging out in the room tonight. She walks in. And can you imagine her? And you say, you know what, Queen? I don't really like the way you dress. You know what she'd probably do? Because I've watched Queen Elizabeth. You know what she'd probably do? Smile and say, God bless you. Because you don't threaten her. You don't threaten a billionaire queen who runs the, king, the empire of England. You can say whatever you want, and she can be gracious because she's very wealthy relationally, financially, maybe not spiritually. You, you know, if you want to threaten her, say, do you know Jesus? That might threaten her a little bit. No, serious. Come on. Come on. But my point is, she asked, Jezebel asked the question that should have gone right into Ahab's heart. Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth. Uh-oh. The queen just became king. Let me say something. Everybody look up here. Please look up here. This is very important. Self-pity 
and withdrawal, a victim spirit will always open the door for someone to come in and control you. It will open the door for a Jezebel-type spirit. It is an open door. Come on in. Poor me. If you turn your rejection into self-pity and withdrawal and go away, you're sullen and vexed, guess what? Someone will come in right after that and try to control your life. It's, oh, I'll get it for you. Oh, I'll take care of you. You just succumb to me. Usually that thing that takes control won't be a person. It'll be a spirit. But eventually, hopefully not in your marriage or in your relationships, it could turn into a person. You could be attracted to a controller because you're a, you're now a poor helpless Ahab became a poor helpless little me I didn't get my vineyard I need someone to get stuff for me and that little spirit came in and said I'll get it baby I'll get it you just arise and eat be happy and you know what she wrote letters had him accused had him killed and the blood was on whose head Ahab was called the most wicked king in the history of Israel and you know what it says about him in Chronicles? Because he let his wife rule through him. It's right in the Bible, beloved. It even tells you why God has said he's the most wicked king. But what led to it? Perceived rejection. He had an ungodly desire. He had, everybody say it with me, an idol. The vineyard was his idol. If you have something in your life that you can't let go of, it will captivate you. And some spirit will come in and it'll take you. What do you have in your life that you are fighting over that you don't want to let go of? Could be your reputation. Could be your looks. Could be your success in school. Be careful it's not an idol because that'll ensnare you. Okay? Number four. Um, I'll tell you what, for the sake of time, hmm, Praise the Lord, because I want to do get us some, some ministry here. Let's see here. Let me give you, let me, I'm going to scroll down my, my little list here. The fourth response, guys, everybody look up here, guys. The fourth response to rejection is denial. That ain't a river, I know it's an old joke, but it ain't a river in Egypt. Denial. Ladies, do you know that, you know what men are famous for, ladies? Compartmentalization. Oh, you hurt me? No, you didn't. I'm going to go work in the garage, honey. I'll see you later. Bye. I'm fine. How you doing? I'm fine. No, I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. It's all back here in the back of my head. Nah, he didn't really hurt me. I'm not mad at him. And so men go through life, guys, thinking nothing's wrong. Emotionally, I'm fine. They become emotionally detached. They never deal with their woundings. And then their wife, after 20 years of marriage, goes, what is going on with you? I don't feel close to you. See you. Bye. Why? Because they, their response to rejection was denial. How about this kind of thing? Dads say to kids all the time. It's changed in our society more. You're, we're more of a touchy-feely group. Back when I was a kid, don't cry. Tough guys don't cry. Real guys don't cry. Don't cry. Suck it up. The other day, I was feeding Zachary and Zoe. I have a seven- and a nine-year-old. And... <laughs> Only parents can relate to this. Nothing I would offer them for food would they eat. And I just finally said, I did chicken and beans and soup and sandwiches. So I just threw it. I had a portfolio in my hand. I threw it up in the air. I said, I give up, you guys. This is, oh, I can't do this. You guys got to help me. Eat something. So otherwise, mama's going to yell at me. <laughs> and my precious little Zachary, who's seven years old, who's so tenderhearted, started crying. He came up. He went like this. And I, and I grabbed him and I held him. I said, I'm sorry, Zach, if I upset you. And I let him cry, and we held each other, and we just hugged. 
He's so precious. You, I can't wait till you meet him. But the point is, is that one, one great thing my dad taught me, guys, is as a young boy, when we'd see a good movie, he said, it's okay to cry. Gentlemen, please let the tears flow. Because if you don't let the tears of tenderness flow now, you'll have the tears of pain and sorrow flow later. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you don't give yourself permission to let the tears of tenderness flow now, you will cry tears of sorrow and anguish later in life. Better to do it now, okay? Denial is not your friend. So when you're upset and you're angry, don't suck it up. Go to Jesus and go to a friend. Call somebody. Don't call Pastor Paul because he's got enough. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, but seriously, I'm very serious here. Find somebody, guys, to talk to and say, man, I'm angry. I'm sad. I want to cry. Let me tell you something. The guys that I'm closest to, I can cry with. There's two ways I get to know people. Number one way I get to know a man is prayer, praying with him. When I pray with somebody, I can tell you all about him by his prayers and me too. And number two, whoever I can cry with, and I don't feel that, oh, it's, this is uncomfortable. I don't know. This is, uh. If a man around me, a brother in the Lord, is comfortable with me crying, we're good. That is a mark of a well-balanced, healthy man emotionally. Amen? Okay. Now, so doubt and fear. Say it with me. Doubt and fear. Anger and rebellion. Cain and Abel. Self-pity and withdrawal. Wicked King Ahab. Denial. Okay. Now, I don't have time. That was uh, Saul and, and uh, King Saul. Oh, uh, boy. Lord Jesus, what do you want to do here right now? Just take a minute. I just want to be led of the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right. Turn your Bible to First First uh, Samuel 15. And this, where this is going to be our last little lesson here. There's so much I could teach you, beloved. I, I've just got a lot here, but I just, um, I just can't, t- time-wise. Uh, that's why, please, if you have the ability, get the CD series. <clears throat> There's so much more there. Um, so as I prayed for you, uh, again, I've taught this message all over the country. But I wanted specifically an emphasis for those of you here at Communitas whether you're visiting or not. And the Lord gave me a clear word, an emphasis. Okay? So I'm going to show you that now. Quick background. Saul was raised by a very prosperous, valiant warrior, mighty man of God sort of dad. Well, I don't know about many men of God. If you read through, uh, if you listen to the CD series or read through 1 Samuel, maybe you'll see that he goes out to find some donkeys. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's got no money. He doesn't know what's going on spiritually. And it shows me very clearly in 1 Samuel 9 and 10, he was unfathered. Okay? He's extremely insecure. Now, he's, he's tall. He's the most handsome guy. Listen, he is on the front page of the Israeli GQ. Okay? Seriously, he, it says he's good looking. He's taller than anybody in Israel. He's good looking. And it says he's a valiant warrior. He's anointed by Samuel. He prophesies. He's got everything going for him. He becomes king, right? But he's got one fatal flaw. If you've ever studied Greek tragedies in in literature class, there's always a fatal flaw of the main character, the protagonist, okay? So he's got a fatal flaw. I'm going to tell you that Saul is symbolic for our generation. You, you guys, right here in this room, 
primarily are going to struggle against the same thing struggled against, the fatherlessness and this one specific result of this fatherlessness. Okay? I'm going to get to it. And this one thing took his kingdom away from him. This destroyed him. Okay? Now, I'm going to pick it up in First Corinthians, First Samuel 15, and I'll tell you the story. Saul says, or I mean, Samuel says to, to Saul, go down to the Amalekites, who really gave the Israelis, when they came out of Egypt, a hard time. They fought against them. He said, go destroy them all. He said, I waited 430 years, it's in the scriptures, to judge the nation of the Amalekites. Now is the day. Saul, destroy them all. Kill everybody. And I know you don't like to hear this in our generation, but man, woman, and child, donkeys, oxen, sheep, kill it all. Saul goes down there, okay, doesn't do it. Samuel goes to check on his work like a good prophet should. And we'll pick it up in, um, in, verse, uh, in verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said, Hey, blessed are you, the Lord. I carried out the command of the Lord. By the way, if you know a prophet or a prophetic person, do not lie to them. That's not a good idea. <laughs> Don't lie to prophetic people. Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? Now, the mark of a rejected person is they can never take responsibility for their actions, for their sins, for their screw-ups. Do you know why? When a spirit of rejection is parked here, come on up here. This is what demons really do. They park right next to you, either if they're big enough, the generational spirits are tall, there's little demons, but they sit right here and they talk to you. And so when you hear you screwed up, you know what they say? They have a little filter here. They say, you are a screw up. They, when, you, when your teacher says you made a mistake, you know what they hear? Spirit of rejection, you are a mistake. Very good. Twists and perverts. That's what the word iniquity means, perversion, twisting. It twists truth and reality, and it amplifies it, and it's, it makes it personal. The spirit of rejection makes it personal. Instead of you making a mistake, you are a mistake. Instead of doing something bad, you are bad. That is the sign of a demon of rejection. Thank you. When you have that spirit attached to your life, it is very, very hard to admit your mistakes and humble yourself and say, you know what? You're right. I screwed up. You want to diffuse an argument? Here's all you got to do. You know what, honey? You're right. I screwed up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Bam. Over with. Done. A soft word turns away anger, Proverbs says. But you will in no way be able to do that if the spirit of rejection says, no, no, don't do that. He'll crush you. He'll destroy you. They will destroy. They'll just walk all over you and mush you down if you admit that you're wrong and you made a mistake because you are a mistake. That's a lie. That's a lie. If you know really who you are as an identity, there's no way God saves, heals, and delivers a mistake. The only mistake that God doesn't touch, his name is Lucifer. That's the only one. He said, that's it. Your sin, your cease to be forever. So Samuel is confronting Saul and Saul says this, verse 15, they brought them from the Amalekites. When you have a spirit of rejection, you blame others. I didn't do it because it would overwhelm you to admit that you made a mistake. If you have a spirit of rejection, it's overwhelming. And guess what also follows spirit of rejection and this lying lying you will lie it's too much to admit to your husband your wife your friend your brother your sister yeah i did i like i i i crashed the car classic response who threw the baseball through the window they did i mean i mean 
the really secure young boy or girl, husband or wife, can walk up and say, honey, I did. I, I, I screwed up. I did it. Okay? Now, watch what happens. He comes down. He blames the people a couple times in the verse. And he says this in verse 22. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, ooh, rebellion? Hmm, rejection and rebellion? Ooh, look at this word rebellion in here. Remember, what does rejection lead to? Rebellion. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and divination. Insubordination, which means disobedience, is iniquity and idolatry. Now look in verse 24. We're going to find out right now why Saul disobeyed. This is it right here, guys. This is the big kahuna. Then Saul said to Samuel, finally, finally goes, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because, everybody say because, I feared the people and listened to their voice. It's called the fear of man. Proverbs 29:25 says this, the fear of man proves to be a snare, but those who trust in the Lord to vindicate them will be kept safe. Saul, listen, David and Saul. Who sinned worse, David or Saul? Not a chance. David blew him out of the water. David murdered willfully murdered uh, Bathsheba's husband, committed adultery with Bathsheba. David had 70,000 people killed in one day of his own nation. Why? Because in his pride, he had the numbers, the number of our soldiers and, and the army of Israel numbered. Reading Chronicles. He had 70, that's like wiping out city of Roseville twice. David far out sinned Saul. All Saul did was didn't kill enough people. Why could God look at Saul in the next few verses and say, your kingdom is being taken from you. That's it. You're no longer king. Why would God disqualify this guy? I'll tell you why. God couldn't trust him because he had the fear of man. Because what would he compromise and the rest of his kingship if he simply would continue to follow this path of the fear of man and listening to the people? In other words, he can't lead. Listen up here, leaders. Any leaders in the room? You cannot lead adequately with the fear of man in your life. The fear of rejection, the fear of man, fear of failure will, will disqualify, if not greatly hinder, your ability to lead. Because leaders have to be able to have people look at him and say, you know what, I don't disagree with you. I disagree with you. What you're doing, you're crazy. You're wrong. I'm not following you. And they got to look at him and say, God bless you, brother. But this is what the Lord's saying. i got to do this. This is what we're doing. But if you fear the people, you go, oh, really? You... You, you don't like me? Oh, you're going to leave? Oh, wait. We won't have to do that. We don't have to evangelize. We'll just, we'll just pray for people to get saved. Um, no, at some point you have to open your mouth and say, you're lost and you need Jesus. But they'll be offended. Yes, they will. Some, but some will be saved. So would I rather have five minutes of discomfort with this guy or eternity in hell with this guy? I'll take five minutes of discomfort with him to get him to eternity in heaven. How about you? But see, if you have the fear of man, you don't want to offend anybody. Our nation is under a curse of the fear of man. We don't want to offend anybody. That's what's called political correctness is. You know what? I asked the Lord, uh, check this out. Political correctness reached its height, its zenith in the early 2000s, late 90s. And I was sitting at a coffee shop, Sebastian Joe's in Uptown. Amen, Sebastian Jones. Hallelujah. And I said, Lord, because some woman just pulled the ultimate political correct thing on me. It was, I don't have time to tell you. I said, Lord, what's the spirit behind political correctness? 
Now, keep in mind, okay, we just read that in the Bible. I said, Lord, what's the spirit behind political correctness? Do you know what he said? Tell me, what do you think? What's the spirit that drives political correctness? Nope. Starts with a W. Witchcraft. What's the goal of witchcraft? Control. Didn't we just read rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? 1 Samuel 15. Saul was haunted by political correctness, fear of man. I don't want to offend anybody. I, I, I didn't kill the Amalekites because I feared the people and listened to their voice. In other words, I wanted to make them happy. So we have an entire culture that's based on not offending anybody except Christians. They're happy to offend us. Okay? No, I'm serious. They're okay with that because we're the bad people because they think we hate homosexuals. Nobody loves homosexuals and sinners more than us. We love sinners. In fact, we are sinners. We used to be and we are them. Okay? We love sinners. But the enemy lies about you. Can you take that? Listen, I'll tell you, your cultural war, the war of your life is going to be over abortion and homosexuality. You need to be able to look at somebody in love and say, abortion's murder. It's wrong. It's a sin. Okay? I love you, but it's wrong. And you're homosexual. I love you. God bless you. But it's wrong. By the way, fornication and all kinds of other, there's all kinds of other sins, you know, but the the enemy wants us to focus on this, okay? But if you have the fear of man, you will never be able to confront sin. Why would you? They'll reject you. Oh, you homophobe. Name, name, name. Call you, call you, call you. Reject you, reject you, reject you. Ooh, I don't want rejection. It hurts. I'll go over here. I'll play church. We'll have a few people saved and let the culture go to hell. No way, baby. I'm not doing it. How about you? I want to get so free from the fear of man and the fear of rejection that in love, I can tell someone what you're doing is wrong. I want to help you set free. But I won't. I got to tell you the truth. That'll send you to hell. Okay. Fear of man disqualified Saul from being king. It will disqualify you from being bold and effective in your life. The fear of man is rooted in rejection. Now, we're going to do two things, and then I'm going to just call out some people to pray for them. We're going to do, and I, I know I've gone long, Paul, and I apologize. I, I'm sorry. Okay. Are we okay? Are we, are we happy still? Okay. A couple hours left. A couple hours left. We'll call in pizza. We'll get pizza delivered. It'll be fine. Uh, okay, I lied. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's okay. So, Eve believed a lie about herself and caused her to rebel. I'm going to give an example before we go to this exercise. When I was a young boy, my mom did some bad things to me. Because of that, I built a foundation in my life that was a wrong foundation on two things. Because of that rejection, my mom rejected me and uh, took advantage of me. When you are sexually, verbally, or physically abused, you know what that says to you? You're a thing, not a person. You don't value, you have, you have no value, okay? You don't matter. I believe two lies because of my rejection. Everybody in this room has believed a lie about themselves because of rejection. Now, you may have rooted it out. Praise God, I hope you have. Number one lie I believed is when I'm alone, bad things happen. I'll just put alone bad. And I also believed I'm alone and no one will help me. In other words, I'm helpless and there's no one there for me. I'll put bad, bad things, or as my son says, bad dings. 
I built my life, my foundation of my life, even, listen to me, as a spirit-filled, charismatic Christian preacher, prophetic minister. I had to, only in my late 40s did I find out these truths or these lies and destroy these lies. I believed I was alone, and when I'm alone, bad things happen. What I'm going to do right now, just put your stuff aside. We're going to go with the Lord Jesus. He's here in the, in the room with us. The Holy Spirit's in you, on you, and around you. And what we're going to do, we're going to be very quiet in a, in a respectful mode here, even those in the back. And I'm, I have such faith that you're going to, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We're going to ask the Lord this question. Lord, what lies have I believed about myself? Now, it's about yourself. It's not about, you know, how many planets are in the sky or the square root of 15. What lies have you believed about yourself because of rejection? Now, before you, everybody look up here. Don't go to prayer yet. For those of you who are at different places spiritually, it could be a voice stream, a little package. God could say you believe that you're unlovable or whatever. It could be an impression in your heart. It could be a picture. It could be a little videotape. God communicates to each one of us in different ways. Okay, someday I'll maybe come, you know, and teach you on how to hear God's voice. But right now, I don't care how the message gets across. We're looking for truth. So... So just be open to however God wants to communicate to you. Everyone in this room is precious to the Lord Jesus. He wants you to know. He wants to expose the lies. Okay? So let's just close our eyes. Go before the Lord. And I want you to just ask him with your spirit voice and your quiet voice in your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, what lie have I believed about myself because of rejection in my life? Go ahead. And just listen. lie have I believed about myself because of rejection in my life he may just take you back in a little video picture memory of an event that was very painful for you (coughs) something somebody said they did or didn't do be sensitive to what comes to your mind right now If you feel like you've got something from the Lord, just look up here so I kind of know where you're at, where we're at as a group here, okay? Otherwise, just keep listening. Keep sensing. Hallelujah. Okay. (coughs) I'd like you to get to the point where you can say what the lie is, that I believe that an X. So we want to go for that if we can. I'll give you another minute here. Then we're going to do something else to finish this off.
Thank you, Lord. What lie have I believed? Don't be afraid. We have to expose a lie. I just bind all fear right now. No fear, no fear in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Mm. Okay. Some of you I sense are still being revealed. I want you, those of you who've heard, I want you to now do this. Remember, it's Jesus is here, right in front of you, with you. He's, he's personal to you. I want you to ask him, say, Lord Jesus, whatever that lie is, is this true? We want to hear it from the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to reason. Do not reason. Do not think about it. We're asking the Lord. We're encountering the person of Jesus. Jesus, is this true that? And then repeat the lie to him and listen to him and see what he says. Go ahead. Spirit's really moving over here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There's angels are starting to come in the room now. It's very precious. A lot of angels coming in. Actually, the Lord's healing some hearts right now. Don't be afraid to cry. It's okay. Is it true that I'm not whatever, or I'm alone? Is it true that I'm alone and on my own? Is it true that I'm unlovable, that nobody loves me? Is it true that I'll never accomplish something? It's okay. It's okay to cry. That's it. Let it go. That's all right. The Lord's doing uh, healing hearts right now. There's a real healing spirit right now in the room. A lot of angels here to minister. Even back in the back there, there's Angels just came in from the left over here. They're here to heal our broken hearts. Now, what I want you to do, if you've heard the Lord say, yes or no, you know, that's not true. Not yes, but no, that's not true. Now, I want you to ask and place that lie. Say, Lord Jesus, speak truth to me. So I, the way I would phrase this is this. Lord, is it true that I'm alone and on my own? He would say no. I'd say, well, Lord, then what is the truth? Well, in fact, I'll just ask him right now. He just said to me, he's, I'm as close as your breath. That's what he just said to me. He's Not only am I not alone, he's as close as my breath. So go ahead and do that. Say, Lord, speak truth to me right now about that lie I believe. Speak truth to me. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Whew. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, man. Jesus. <laughs> Speak truth to me, Lord.
okay, I just got to download. I'm going to do something I've never done before. Okay, and if you're still listening, just listen. I'm going to be quiet, just respectful to the atmosphere. There's a tremendous, just a thickness in here. I've never done this, and I just got this. I want you to ask the Lord. You don't have to do all three. You can pick one. And I want you to say, Lord, talk to me, speak to me about my value, identity, and purpose. For instance, I would say, Lord, speak to me about my value. Now, what he just said to me just now when I asked him that question, he said to me, you're as precious as my blood. High five. I'm worth the blood of Jesus. Actually, the way he said it is he looked at his own hand and his own blood. He said, you're as precious as my blood. So that's what I heard when I said, Lord, talk to me about my value. So go to the Lord right now, and you can say, Lord, talk to me. Speak to me, Lord, about my value and or my identity or purpose. Okay, go ahead. Let's do that. There's a real grace to hear tonight in the room here. It's very wonderful. Let's be respectful. I've never done this before. I'm being blessed. I'm getting blessed. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Now, I have to tell you, in the spirit realm, it's about this deep, it's about this high, it's thick all the way to the room, it's about belly high. There is a joy in the room because God is very, very pleased and happy with you. He's very happy. There's like, we could probably all bust out laughing right now. There's a real joy. He's very pleased with you for your intentiveness to seek him, to ask him questions, and to listen. Here's what the Father wants me to tell you guys right now. He says, I love it nothing better than when my children listen to me. I mean, Papa is really just, we're like little ones to him right now. There's a real fathering spirit here tonight. And he's just so happy that we just sit and we want to talk to him. He loves it. When you become parents someday, you realize there's nothing better than when my little Zachary snuggles up and he puts his head under my chin and he rubs his head on my goatee and he, he just sits there and snuggles. And, he, and like my daughter, she says, Daddy, tell me a story. He loves it when you want to listen to him. He has so much good stuff to say to you. Okay. 
if you haven't gotten through these three tonight, and I'm going to do this because I just got blessed. When you go home tonight or soon to stay in the same spirit of tonight, write these down. Say, Daddy, Father God, talk to me about my value. Get a notepad out and write. Talk to me about my identity. Talk to me about my purpose. Can I tell you, can I just, can I share with you what he showed me just now about my identity? He, uh, I said, Lord, t- tell me about my identity. And and I sort of heard prophet because that's kind of the label people give me as prophet. And he said, you're, you're not just a prophet, you're a son, you're a son. He kept saying over and over, you're a son, you're a son, you're a son. And then he showed me, he had a white robe on. I was about five, three or five years old and he was chasing me, chasing me. And I was running away from him going, ah, like a little guy. And I realized that many times when I'm in panic mode and I'm in fear, I run away from him. I don't go to him. And he grabs me in his arms. He pulls me up and said, I have all the answers here. Come to me. Now, we th- I thought I was coming to him, but I'm not doing a good enough job of coming to him. I'm just telling you that right now. I want to run away and, and go la, 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 and drown out the bad stuff. He scooped me up. He said, you're a son. And he showed me being a little boy in his arms, okay? So that's the kind of things I'm encouraging you to do when you go to home tonight. There's something special. I know we're going to go, you know, when you're done, you're all going to talk and fellowship. Don't lose what's in the spirit realm right now, okay? There's a real fatherly, sweet spirit that wants to talk to you as his kids. And he wants to tell you good things about the expose the lies of rejection, tell you truth, okay? And then your truth about value, identity, and purpose, your VIP treatment, okay? Does that make sense?